we are working together. You've already greeted one another, so we can't do that, right? Yes. So um, here we go. Thank you. We actually, I thought we had the theme for Rocky queued up to play, and that's, that was our thing to fall back on in case that we uh, kind of caught like this. But anyway, uh, it's good to see you this morning. We are glad that you are here, and uh, what, a beautiful, um, what a beautiful day to be together and to worship together. School is out. Isn't that good? All the parents are saying, oh no, here we go, you know. We got like a couple of months here. Now school is out and summer is definitely here. And, and we are entering today into the first part of our summer series called The Fight. And you say, well, I didn't come to church to fight. Well, the reality is, as Travis so capably pointed out to us last Sunday morning, if you were here, that we are in a fight, whether we want to be or not, we are in a fight, that there is a fight in in that of the spiritual realm, if there is not a physical fight in our life today, that there is a fight that we find ourselves engaged in today. And so we are there. And so we said what we're going to do is we're going to explore this together throughout the summer months. And so we said, so where do we go to to determine that of what this looks like in our lives and how we sort of make a stand in the fight of our lives? And and so we went to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. So grab your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read together in a moment. And so I have a lot of ground to cover with you as we kind of set up this series today. And then we also talk about the belt of truth together. So I'm going to start reading right away and not kind of give you a story up front or anything like that. But I want to read to you and we start in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1. And it says this. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. You say, well, I thought we were talking about a fight. Oh, that is a fight sometimes, is it not? Yeah, if you're a parent, then you understand that. Because this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that it may live long, that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether it be as a bond servant or as free masters. Do the same to them and stop your threatening. Know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. There's a couple of thoughts I want to share with you this morning as we work our way through this. And, and this is perfect for Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you. It's at, this text is absolutely perfect for that. And so the first thought is this, what about the middle? Because if we're really going to understand what the fight is all about today, then we have to look at it very contextually. We say a lot of times that context is everything here at Hope Fellowship. So we have to start at the beginning of chapter 6 and understand and frame what Paul is saying to us in its entirety. Because in verses 1 through 4, it talks about obeying children, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. And it's a perfect text for that of Father's Day. It's absolutely perfect. Yes. And then it says, for this is the key to long life. Now, pause for a moment. Let's take a little survey together, okay? And, and so how many of you have ever used that text, that's verses 2 and 3, that says, honor your father and mother, and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land or a long life. How many of you have ever used that text with your children for leverage for good behavior? Raise your hand if you've ever used that. Anybody? Anybody? It was a few of you. Good. Terrific. Have you ever said to them, and if you don't listen to me, then you're never going to see 12 years old. That's exactly right, right? Yes. If you don't listen to me, and, and, and I, that's not the way to use it, but yet that's the way we would be very tempted to use it, I think. And then there's the command to fathers to not provoke your children to anger Another great Father's Day piece. And then verses 5 through 9, he covers that of, that of servants and slaves and masters, whether by choice or whether by obligation, that those that have charge over you, that you're to obey them in the flesh, he said. You're to serve them as you would serve Christ. It supersedes compensation. There's nothing wrong with being paid for what you do. That's very biblical, absolutely, yeah, without any doubt. But yet, it's not that just you do what you have to do to just get by. It's not that at all. But you serve others with an attitude as if you were serving Christ, both that of servant and master. And so what this says to me is, is I think, a number of things. One is this. It's about how you and I treat each other. In this text 
about fighting, where he gives us the armor of God that we wear in making a stand in the fight of our lives, Paul starts out by talking about relationships. And, and you wonder, why in the world would he do that? It doesn't seem kind of right that he starts out about fighting, but yet he starts this, he, or he's going to talk about fighting, but he starts out talking about relationships. And I believe it's absolutely contextual and perfect, because here is my thought this morning, that most likely that is the place where we find most conflict in our life, is that of relationships. It absolutely is, that we need armor in our life, well, at home, if you're a parent sometimes with your children, if you are a husband and, and, or a wife that's with your spouse, that there is a great place for that of spiritual armor, because there are fights in those situations. Now, don't look at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about, right? Oh, my home is perfectly, peacefully, bliss, and all those kinds of things. And we never, have, we never have arguments and we never have fights. Some of you will even say that your fights are nothing but loud discussions, right? Isn't that right? Yes. But we do have fights. We do. So let's level the ground for a moment. Because... Paul is the one that starts out about relationships, so we have to talk about him for just a moment. So here's the thing. In your life this week, in your family life, in your relationships, I'm not going to say loud discussions. How many of you have had a fight with your spouse or your children this week? Raise your hand. Let me see your hand. Anybody? Okay. Some of you. That's good. Perfect. All right. For those of you who have not raised your hands, hold on. It's coming. It's going to happen, right? Yes. It's going to happen because, hey... We're all sinners, and you put us close together. At some point, there's going to be an explosion. It's like sandpaper rubbing against sandpaper. That it's going to, at some point, create some heat. So, in that, that I, I think that context of relationships, yeah, it's perhaps one of the greatest places that we find conflict within our life. But I think it's also one of the most influential places that we respond as Christ would respond with that of respect and value. As God sees us, that we see one another. Yes, both servant and master. And what this says to me is this, that I can't live my life compartmentalized. I can't do that. As I act here in church, so I act at home. That's interesting, isn't it? Wow. Yes. All of a sudden, it, this, the air is sucked out of the room for some reason, right? Yes, because I acted here. This is how I acted at home. Because I think sometimes we think, okay, here is my professional life. And, and then and over here is my spiritual life. Or here is my home life. And over here is my spiritual life. And somehow I compartmentalize those two. And let me point out the obvious to you this morning. God is in every moment of our day. Realize that. He is in every moment of our day, and we should live like that in every action that is shown toward others, in every word that is spoken to others. And I realize, I, and I understand this is messy and inconsistent as we say about our lives all the time, and there is grace to cover us when we don't get this right, and there is grace to cover you on the ride home as you are reminded of all these faults, you know, in, in your life and my life. But this is about duty and unity is what he talks about. So what does this have to do with the fight? What does it have to do with the fight? What does it have to do with this character here? Yes, we call the staff in our staff meeting this week that somebody had the idea that we were going to name him. So somebody said that we would name him Bob. I don't know why they wanted to name him Bob. For all the Bobs in the room, I, 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 I don't know if that's a, you know, if that's good or bad, but they said they name him Bob, and then he is a creation of Seth, our creative arts director. So we named him Bob of the House of Sethicus. It's what we named him, yes? Because it sounds very much like a Roman foot soldier. So this is Bob of the House of Sethicus. And, and so what, is it, what does this have to do with him? That in this text about warfare and fighting, that Paul starts out about relationships. He starts about our life. He talks about fathers and mothers and children and employers, employees and masters and servants. And I begin to think, why did he start out like that? Because what I realize when I read verses 1 through 9, it's God's ideal for our life is what it is. It's God's design for our life and how we should live in a broken world. It's our response to the brokenness of the world in which we live in. 
Yes, that we respond to the expected and those things we expect in a broken world. We expect hardship and fights and we expect disobedience that we respond to the expected with the unexpected in our lives. And that is that of value and that is of respect. But what Paul is about to say to us, that there is this ideal. This is the way that God desires for you to live. But then Paul says this to us in a moment. He says, hey, don't be naive. <laughs> don't be fooled. Don't be Rock to sleep this morning. Yes. As this is the God's, God's ideal, that this is all very convoluted by the presence of this hostile evil force, these powers of darkness that work against you and I. He said, hey, there, this is a warning to you and I that there is this ideal of God, but there are these hostile forces of darkness in the world that works against the ideal of God. And this is going to be messy at times in your life. This is going to be inconsistent. Yes, there are times that you're going to say things to your children that you probably should not have said out of anger. You're going to provoke them at times. There are times when there's going to be tension between you and your wife or your husband. That's going to happen. There are times when you are just going to do enough to get by on your job because you think that you're underappreciated and you're underpaid. You say, oh, preach it, Mark. That's exactly what I want to hear because that's the way I feel. And so you're just going to do enough to kind of cover the bases and you're not going to serve your employer or your master as you are serving Christ. So yes, why? Because there is an evil force of darkness in this world working against you and I, and he opposes the things of God. That's what we have to understand. That's why I believe Paul starts this text out this way. He's saying this is the ideal of God. But then there is this evil force that opposes the ideal. And he said, Mark, wait a minute. I thought when Jesus went to the cross... That he fixed all of this for us. I thought when he went to the cross, you know, he said that thing, it is finished. And so all of this was done and the devil has no power over us anymore. As believers, he's defeated death and hell through the grave. I thought that that, well, what you're talking about is a text from the book of Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. I'm going to read it to you. It is exactly what you're talking about. Here's what Colossians 2.13 says. And you, speaking of everyone in the room that has come to Christ, you're following the Lord this morning. And for those of you that are not following Christ today, can I say to you, man, we're glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming and sharing donuts and coffee and sitting here and, and simply listening to the music maybe this morning and listening to me talk for a while with you. We are glad that you're here. But he says, and you, those that are following Christ, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, talking about a work of our heart, not a surgical procedure, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and that was death. He said, oh, that's what I'm talking about, Mark. So why, a, why this Roman foot soldier? Why the armor? Why does Paul give us these things in Ephesians chapter 6? And he goes on to say, oh, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's the part that I like. yes. That's it. So if it's done, then why this sermon series? You know? If, if all of that's taken care of, then we just read the undoing of Satan's powers, then, then why? Well, let me give you the rest of the story this morning. Because if you're going to read Colossians chapter 2, then you have to read Romans chapter 16. And here is Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, he says. For such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the hearts of the naive. He said, hey, I want you to have the whole story here. I don't want you to go through life being naive about how things work in this broken world. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and or as to what is evil. Paul says, wait, hang on. You need to know this, that the work on the cross is complete. Absolutely. That God, we, we can't look at this as if God, through his son Christ, does something halfway. That's not, that's not what we are in any way inferring in in this teaching at all 
But what I realize is this, as he goes on to say that you and I live in the middle. We live in the very middle of that of Colossians 2 and Romans chapter 16. Because he goes on to say in verse 20 of Romans 16, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That it's not happened yet, it will happen. But it is the not yet. We've used this theological term so many times, the already and the not yet, that you and I live in the middle. We live in the middle. And sometimes it really stinks to live in the middle, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. The middle is not always the best place to be. Yes, people talk about that of their middle child. And, and you know, I, I don't know how true that is all the time. And, and, and so when they talk about that, you know, on a car ride, the middle is not always the place to be in the seat. Isn't that right? And, and on an airplane ride, it's not always fun to be in the middle of a seat, you know, where people are on both sides of you. The middle is sometimes, or most of the time in our lives, a very uncomfortable place. But here is the reality of our life. Here is the reality of this world that we live in, that you and I live in the middle. We believe in that middle between Colossians 2 and Romans 16. We are there, but we are not helpless in the middle. That's what you need to understand this morning. Paul is in no way insinuating that whatsoever. We're the in-between, yes, All of us in this room, every one of us, listen, if you are sucking air today and there are there's blood flowing through your veins, you are living in the middle. Realize that. You're in the middle of this. Because you know, we could come today and we could give you something that is is not, I think, a balanced look at all of this. And we could tell you that, hey, go out there and you put the armor of God on your life. Yes, absolutely. But, but, but to leave you with this impression that somehow that there's not going to be some opposing force in your life. There's not going to be something that's going to come against you when you attempt to, well, live out your faith on your job. Or you attempt to do that with your children or your husband or your wife. Then, then we would be simply not giving you the whole truth. Understand that we live in the middle because in this world we still sin. We still sin. Realize that. And in the middle, we still get sick. And in the middle of this world, that reality is that we still sometimes, we die. That that we are still subject to that. The culmination, the eradication of that, of the work of Satan completely will happen at the second advent. When Christ comes, he will make all things new. Absolutely. But at this point, you and I live in the middle, but we are not helpless in the middle. That's the truth. If we're going to talk about the belt of truth this morning, then man, I have to give you the truth. Yes. I, I, have, I have been in so many services growing up, you know, and, and I love my church background, so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but I've been in so many services where I left with this thought that because I was a believer... That somehow I was immune to all the pain and the sickness and all the struggles of this life in this world. That somehow that that none of those things could touch me as if I was covered in some non-stick surface. And so everything that came against me kind of just flowed right off because I was a believer. Can I tell you, you have to ignore a major part of the Bible to live that way. That there is an opposing force against us. It is Satan in the power of darkness that comes against us. And Christ will fix all of this at the second advent. Absolutely. So Mark, do you mean that in the middle of life? And I had this thought, this analogy, because sometimes you may leave your thinking this way. That somehow that we're like the practice team, you know, on a football team. And Satan is like the first string. And so he beats up on us all week just so he can kind of show out on Saturday afternoon. And that's not the case at all. That's not what Paul is teaching us. That in the middle of this life, in this middle moment between that of the work of Christ, that complete work of Christ, and that of Christ returning where he will fix and make all things right and he will crush Satan completely. In the middle of all that, you and I can experience the peace and the power of the cross realize that and so god has equipped us with armor that is why we have bob that's why but thank you bob for being here that is why we have him this morning yes that is why paul gives us ephesians chapter six i read somewhere and i think this puts it best 
that the forces of darkness are defeated. We draw great confidence from that. But they have yet to be rendered harmless. They have yet to be rendered harmless in our lives. Happy Father's Day. Isn't that great? Yes, doesn't that like, yes, thank you, Mark, for encouraging us. No, no, I want to tell you the truth, okay? I want to tell you the truth. If you, if you look forward to this talking through Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God and that of the fight, and, and, and you, th- that's not what you expected. Well, we're going to start out, I think, biblically correct, and that is that we are living in the middle. And so what Paul says, hey, but hang on, I'm going to give you verse 10, okay? Don't give up, don't close the book, don't, don't quit. Let me give you verse 10, and here's what he said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And when I read that text, man, I read it over and over and over, and I thought, Lord, what are you saying? Because you, you simply say, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I underlined, I circled it, I highlighted the strength of his might. And I began to be curious as to what that means. And I want to flesh that out to you. But the second thought is this, be strong in the Lord, not, not, and there's a line there on your notes, write your name, write your name. Not, and then put your name there. Not your name, but actually what they call you, you know? Like I would put Mark there. Be strong in the Lord, not Mark, is exactly what I think that he is saying to us. And so what this text is not about, this is not about your physicality. This is not about your your intellectual ascent. It's not about your talents. It's not about your theological prowess. It's not about your ecclesiastical, your church background, or your heritage. It's not about any of those things at all. But Paul helps us to understand the term in the strength of his might. So go back for a moment in Ephesians to chapter 1. Because this is the way Paul frames all of this. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 15. For he says this to you and I, and I I get so excited about this. He says this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the Lord, or that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. I, I love that. I, I underline that, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, because truly, that from our heart springs the issues of life. It, it simply is the lens in which we see things. So he says, I want you to these, your heart to be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. I found that word again. Of his great might. So here's the strength of his might. This goes back to what we just read in Ephesians 6 and 10, where it says that we finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So here it is in verse 20, that he worked in Christ, that, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. It's the power of Christ's resurrection. That's exactly what he's talking about. It's not about my strength. It's not about yours. He spells it out very clearly back here in Ephesians chapter 1 in in verse 20. It's the power of Christ and his resurrection. That's the strength of his might. That's what I take a stand in. It's what Christ has accomplished. Because when I live in the middle of this world, when I find myself still subject to sickness and still subject to the struggles of life, that I read this text that we read before in Colossians, that Christ's work is complete. He has nailed simply all those works to the cross. Yet the culmination of that redemptive work simply happens at his return. Yet the enemy has yet to be rendered harmless in my life. Paul says the strength that we need that is resident in the life of the believer is found in Christ and his resurrection. Is exactly what he says. What does that mean? The power of his resurrection. And when I think about the resurrection, I think of this, that Christ defeats death. Not just physical death, but yet that of a spiritual death, that I was dead in my sins. So he defeats that. He defeats hell, that I no longer have to live in the fear of hell because why? I'm forgiven. I'm covered by grace. He simply overcomes the grave. It's that peace that applies to my personal resurrection in this life, my bodily resurrection. But it's also about faith and trust that I don't have to know all the details of the resurrection. I don't know how that was all done. I don't have all of those details. 
but I can walk in the might of the resurrection. Why? Because I know the tomb is empty this morning. Yes, I know the tomb is empty. That God simply made this spectacular promise beyond anything that anybody could understand. His own disciples who walked with him on this earth, they didn't even understand when they came to the empty tomb what was simply going on. But yet God made this outlandish, unthinkable promise and he kept it. And that is simply the strength of his might. And that is the strength that you and I walk in today. Oh, wrap your mind around that because I can't, you know. I, I, I thought about this all week that I walk in that of the strength and the might of God. And that is the, the power of his resurrection. I walk in that. So it's not these mighty muscles of mine. Someone said this morning that on the last, or I should have actually just worn this myself and preached in this. Can I tell you, that is not a sight that you would want. It's not. And for some of you that has somehow concocted a mental side of that, we'll be praying over your mind at the end of the service because that is not what you want to see. Yes, because it's not about this muscle. It's not about this strength of my mind. It's not that, but simply that the strength of his might is the power of his resurrection. And he said, that is the power that you and I live in as a believer. That's powerful. It is. But if I'm going to talk about the power in the resurrection, then I have to talk about the power of darkness that attempted to hold Christ in the grave. Because in the middle of this world, a broken world, that's the power that opposes you and I. It's the very same power that sought to destroy the promise of the resurrection, that very same darkness, that very same evil that attempted to hold Christ in a grave, in a tomb, that he created him very, his very self as the creator. Understand that that is the power that comes against you and I. It's one and the same evil. That very same evil that lies to you today and says to you that Christ's promises are wonderful and they're great words and, and philosophically they're, they're great, but yet there's no, there's no substance to them and they're absolutely empty promises. Understand this. What I realize about all of this is this, that when the enemy comes to me in the middle of this life, I'd simply have to say this, that I know the truth because the tomb is empty. Because the tomb is empty, that he kept a promise that he made. And because of that, I have confidence in the truth. And that's what I stand in. That's what I stand in. So whatever the enemy comes with in the middle of this life, that I can stand in the truth of the power of his resurrection. That is exactly what Paul is teaching us. Yes, that it is empty today. The tomb is empty And that promise was fulfilled. And that is the strength of his might. And I think sometimes we try to divorce the physicality of the resurrection, you know, from that of our faith. We try to make it like it's an idea of somehow. Can I tell you that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, that it was a physical body? We know that because the disciples touched him that simply ascended back into the Father. Understand that, that he was not some x-man or some angel or, or or some superhero it was a physical body that ascended it was a physical body that will return and that is the promise i stand on today so whatever the enemy brings whatever he simply brings our way in this life i have the surety of the fact of the resurrection that i stand on today that when god makes a promise god can fulfill the promise even if it simply means cheating death In these few verses, there is so much, and I keep telling you that, and that keeps scaring you because you think I'm going to preach like till after one o'clock or something like that, and that is not the case. But there is absolutely so much, so much here about you and I as a believer and how we simply function the strength of his might and we live in the power of the resurrection today. And, and, and just as Christ prevailed over the tomb, we will prevail over the powers of darkness in this life. And that's the truth. That's the truth. That's truth. So he goes on to say in verse 11, look what he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. It's truth and righteousness and the gospel and faith and salvation. It's the word of God. 
And, and, and he goes on to say then that you, may, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy, the plans of the enemy. I love how Paul writes because he bookends these verses from 11 to 13 with basically the same statements that you put on the whole armor of God that you're able to stand. But in the middle, he simply says this, I want you to know the schemes of the enemy, so let me show you what that is. And he says in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So I think sometimes we're looking in the wrong place for the working of the enemy in our life, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he says again, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. It's that thing we call a chiastic. He uses it again as he does so many times that we pull on the whole armor of God and we take a stand for Christ in that of the power of the resurrection in the middle in the middle of this world where we live we're reminded that this is a fight but it's not just any fight but this fight is the fight against evil behind this present darkness and when i read that i wrote in my journal people are not our enemies people are not our enemies oh mark you, you don't know who i work for <laughs> you know, you don't understand that I work for like the spawn of Satan. You, you just don't understand this in my life. Again, it's exactly why Ephesians chapter six is is started with 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 that of relationships. It's what it all comes back to. It's the fertile ground for conflict in our life, but it's also the very fertile ground for you and I to respond to the expected in this world with the unexpected, and that is respect and value. It it, it is absolutely that fertile ground. And and so that's why Paul starts out exactly like he does. And and so what I realize is that people are not our enemies, but this is not about our ability. It's about his might that you will be able to stand. And I begin to think about the word stand. That it's not a, this is not a call, as we read this together, this is not a call to invade the domain of evil. That, that's not what, it, this, is, this is not a call for us to simply form up and to march into that of darkness. That's not what it is. He says simply to stand. And he says that to us a number of times here, that we are to stand. It's to maintain. Listen, maintain is not a bad word. Understand that. It's not a bad word. Standing is not a bad word as long as we are simply standing in what Christ has already done for our lives. And that's exactly what he's talking about. We're standing in what Christ has already won for our behalf. If you look at this in context, if you go back to chapter 4, oh, Paul talks a lot about walking. He says that we're to simply walk in the manner worthy of our calling. In chapter 5, he talks about walking again. We're walking the love of Christ as Christ has loved us. We walk as children of light, he said. He said that we simply walk as, as wise and not unwise. We walk as sons and daughters and no longer slaves. But then you get to chapter 6 and he says, take a stand. He said to take a stand, to stand firm in the battle. You hold the ground that your king has already won for you and you plant your feet firmly in the truth. And I said, so what is the truth? It's what the armor stands for. That truth is found in Christ. It's righteousness, not ours, but it's his. It's the gospel that's in Christ alone that I bring nothing to the table. It's about faith that I don't, I don't need all the details, but God's track record speaks for itself that he fulfills his promises. It's about salvation that he's committed to complete what he has begun within my life. It's about the word of God in the fluidity of this world that I have something absolutely substantial to stand upon. That I stand in the strength of his might, the power of his resurrection. So if you thought that living in the middle of this world was somehow that you live helplessly at the whim of the enemy and anything that he wants to do in your life or do to your family, that he is more than uh, welcome to do that because you are helpless, that is absolutely contrary to the picture that Paul paints for you and I about standing. Because it really is all about what we stand in is what this is about. 
and we stand firm in the truth of Christ and his resurrection. And if God promises it, then rest assured that God will see it through on your behalf. Trust him. Trust him this morning. So verse 14 says this. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. This is about truth and confidence. You say, Mark, finally, today was about the belt of truth, and it's taking you this long to get that. I told you I had to set it up for you, okay? So don't judge me, all right? But I told you I had to do that to get you to this point. You have to understand that we have, we have to set the foundation for us to talk for the next few weeks together. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth while living in the middle in the strength of his might that we put on the belt of truth. It's about truth and confidence. Truth and confidence are like peanut butter and jelly. They, they really are. They simply go together perfectly, don't they? I don't know who first discovered that, but they go together perfectly. Because here's the truth that in the middle, in the middle, he has not left us alone to our own devices. Understand that. Not left us alone to just figure out things for ourselves. But we stand in the might of his strength this morning. But the truth is that the tomb is empty and we stand in that fulfilled promise. And in that, I find this supernatural confidence for my life to stand in unwavering truth today. The belt of truth is what it is. I I begin to read about the belt of truth. And, and what the belt of truth is this, oh, it serves a number of things. Maybe your translation says you're here to gird up your loins with truth. Maybe that's what it says. From what I read, it's the very first thing that's simply put on by the Roman foot soldier. Paul would have used that example of a Roman foot soldier to the church at Ephesus because that's what they would have understood. So the first thing he puts on is the belt of truth. It's a powerful thing because why? Because it all starts with truth. If we don't start there in our discussion of all of that of the armor of God, then we have missed the building block of all of this because it's all built upon Christ and the power of his resurrection. So that's where we have to start. So the soldier puts on the belt of truth first. It supports the sword of the spirit. Absolutely. I we also know that a soldier would have worn a robe and at some point to for his dexterity purposes that he would take in the robe and he would pull it up and he would somehow stuff it under that of the belt and cinch the belt around it so that he could be free to move. And I think, oh, that was, that was a thought that I had because there's this freeing aspect of truth. And so it made me think of John chapter 8 and verse 31. It's the words of Christ. It says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. You know, we always stop at the, that first part and say, oh, know the truth, the truth set us free. That's a wonderful word, and we love that. But when you get to verse 33, it really gives you some context. It says, and they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. I underlined that because that really spoke to me powerfully now. How is it that you say you will become free? For you see, here's the thought. Truth starts with revealing that we're slaves. That's where truth begins. Truth starts with revealing that we're slaves. For some of you in this room that you're a slave to your sin this morning because that you have not had that redemptive experience with Christ and you have not come to him. So you're a slave to the sin in your life. Some of you that maybe you are walking with Christ, but you become a slave to your own will, that you press your will over that of the will of God, that some of you become enslaved to the idea that you can control your own destiny, that I can control my own life, that I control my own cravings, that I can control my own lust of my life, that I can control even the words that I say. Ah, how has that worked out well for you, you know? That I can control how my marriage goes. I can control all of my relationships. I can pick and choose in those areas because I know best. And I think that simply if we understand this, what we realize is that we all struggle in and out in this area of being slaves to something in this life. The truth reveals that to us. That we find ourselves enslaved to something. 
Now, if I pull this off and he falls over, I apologize for that. Yes. He said, Mark, you could have got, at least brought this really nice, clean, new chain that you come from the hardware store. No, no, I believe that this would be the chain that the enemy would use in our lives. And to just hear it gives you this feeling of confinement. Listen. Just to have a sense of walking with this and dragging this every day of our lives lets us know that, yes, that maybe absolutely that we have come to Christ, we have found redemption in the Lord. That we are not chained by our sin. But how many of you come here every week? You sit here every week in, in here, and, and, and you... You hear the word of God. You go through the worship time with us as you do every week. But yet you are attempting to control your own life. You're attempting, attempting to control your own destiny, your own future. You, 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 try to, you try to manage your own lust of your life. You, you try to control your own tempers. You try to control you know, your marriages. I can fix this. I can make this happen. And can I tell you, you become a slave to those things within your life and the truth begins with revealing what we are enslaved to in this life. It's the way God found us. Have you ever read Isaiah 59, 14 through 17? I don't know if you've ever read this text, but I want to read this to you this morning as we tie all of this together. It says this, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. This is where we start. We we start with truth. It's where we begin. It, It has to be the first thing in the warrior's life. It has to be the first thing in your life this morning. Truth is lacking and He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him, and there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. I feel the suspense rising, because I feel like I know what is coming. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on a garment of vengeance of clothing. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Truth is Christ. Understand this. Truth is Christ. And Christ is the only thing today that will free you in this world. It is the only thing that will set you free. The fight, I think, many times is within us. That we say, I'm going to save this strength of might. I'm going to save it for Monday morning when I face that real demon within my life. But I think it's what you do right now in your own heart, in your own life. Because Paul starts this text out extremely personal. He starts it out as as a word to our own hearts and our own lives. How we live out our life every day and what we do with our life every day. He talks about fathers and mothers and children and employers, employees. Because it simply has to do with something that goes on inside of us. That we have this perceived truth about our own lives. That we can control all of this and make all this happen. And we can deal with these things of our lives. But in reality, James says this in 4 and 1. said, what quarrels... What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It's within your own heart. That the war in your life today is fear. The war in your life today is doubt. The war in your life today, you know, is... So many things. In the middle of this broken world. You see, the truth has a way of guiding us through life. Helping us in the area of our decisions. As the belt would be what the war you would place on first. It's a guide to where everything else goes. That's why we can't talk about righteousness and the sword of the Spirit. and We can't talk about the gospel 
We can't talk about faith until we first deal with truth. Because it's the metric of our life. It's the guide of our life. If if I were to tell you today that on Tuesday I'm going to meet you at Starbucks. Here's an example. In, at 2 o'clock for coffee. And, and we're going to share, we're going to get one of, one of those nitro cold brews. That's what we're going to get. Yes. Absolutely. And then you will be wasted the rest of the day after you drink one of those. We're going we're gonna to get one of those and we're going to talk and I'll meet you there at 2 o'clock. If you have confidence in the truth that I spoke to you, then sometimes around 1.45, because trust me, in Anderson, South Carolina, you can get just about everywhere you want to go in 15 minutes. That's the beauty of that, right? Yes, you could be living in Atlanta somewhere, right? And you leave wherever you are, you make that adjustment in your life and your schedule, and you head there because you have confidence in truth. It's a guide. For some of you, the guide in your life, the perceived truth in your life is you live by personal truth. That what guides you is your emotions. For some of you, it's your desires. Oh, it's my gut. That's what I make decisions. It's my gut. It's, it's how I feel at the moment. It's what I think to be right, or at least I hope it's right. It's a personal pain in my life that drives me. I have to tell you this morning that all those perceived truths about life will fail you because they will never bear up under the pressure and the weight of this life. Yet it is the truth of Christ and the resurrection because the tomb is empty that you stand in firmly. For some of you, what guides you is that you simply live at the altar of someone else's opinion about you. It's a perceived truth. It's where you worship. It's how I think you see me or sometimes how I pray that you don't see me for what I really am. It's the truth that somehow you have this fear of rejection from God and of others. Even someone in this room this morning. That my issues are real too, really too heavy for God. And that I'm damaged goods. And lies of the enemy chain us to misery. Do you know what the devil's scheme was when it came to the resurrection? It wasn't in my thinking. Now, take this for Mark's thinking. Okay? It wasn't necessarily the tactic or the purpose was to kill Jesus. And I know that that's going to throw you off theologically, but listen to me for a minute. I think the scheme of the enemy was this. It was his scheme was to simply make God out to be a liar. Because if he was to make God out to be a liar... That what God had promised, God was not able to fulfill. Then everything else falls like dominoes behind that. But can I tell you, it is the truth of the power of Christ in the resurrection that sets us free. That sets us free. So, what's your chain? You say, Mark, you've done that a number of times. We get the point. I just wanted you to hear it one more time. Because the only freedom that you find in life is the truth. And that is Christ and the resurrection. All perceived truth will let you down at some point. So trust him. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment for prayer? Father, as we embark on this journey together over the next number of weeks, that we start at truth.
Because the lie of the enemy in our lives is that God's promises are empty, that he is somewhat incapable of fulfilling or he's uncaring about our situation. That somehow we have to just be better on our own or we have to stop doing what we're doing or we have to work this out with our own power. But the truth is, and Father, let us hold that in our hearts this morning, that this is not about us. But the truth is, this is about the strength of his might, the power of Christ and his resurrection. That God is faithful. That God is able to fulfill what he's promised in our lives. That he's not left us hopeless in this world. But yet, he's given us strength to stand in. So, Father, for a moment... May we look into our own hearts and our own lives. What are the chains of our life? What are the things that we're dragging around this morning? What are the perceived truths of our lives? And may we surrender that to absolute truth today. That you are the only way that we'll ever be free. So God speak to us. And may we take a stand in these areas of our lives, not within ourselves, but in the truth today, Father, that you have simply given us the strength of your might, that of the power of your resurrection, to take a powerful stand in this world. So guide us, Lord. Guide us, Father. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with us, please? We're going to sing before we leave. I encourage you to pray about what we have talked about today. Let this sink into your heart, into your mind. What are the chains that you are carrying in your life? You confront a lie with the truth. That's the only way to deal with a lie is the truth. Confront those things in your life with the truth of Christ and the resurrection. And you will find yourself, I believe, victorious over those things today. In his name.